Hello guys, welcome to another edition of the Not The Top 20 podcast. Is this two in four or five days? Absolutely remarkable, if so. Um, uh, we're really spoiling you so far. And, um, and George, one of the reasons why we're in recording on a Sunday is because we've got a special guest joining us, if you wouldn't mind introducing Mr. Zach Goldman. Well, yeah, I think it's, it's interesting... Um that we make no, mis- we don't lie about our allegiance to Oxford here. I'm certainly an Oxford fan, so I decided to bring in another one just to make the most of it. So cheers, Zach, for coming in. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. You may know Zach um, on Twitter, uh, at that damn yank. Um, a couple of interesting projects as well you can tell us about uh, Common Goal and... Where is where football? Is football? Yeah, yeah, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Yeah, so um, along with uh, a couple of friends of mine, we have a company called Common Goal, which is essentially... Loosely, I would define as a uh, sports marketing firm. Uh, we do a lot of stuff um, in global football uh, in North America, in Europe, a little bit in Asia, um, and just kind of you know trying to do all the the nerdy stuff off the pitch for the most part. <laughs> I saw I saw one of your projects was with Venezia, was it in, yeah. in in Italy? Like that looked incredible, and with their color scheme as well, some of the stuff you were able to do with them looked awesome. Like Thank how you. does how does that sort of thing come about for your company? I mean, so much of it has been really through uh, Twitter, if I'm honest. Um, you know, I, I've been on it, I think, since 2013. And strangely enough, like so many of the projects that I've been a part of have really, um, you know, formed through that platform. Uh, it's been pretty uh, enlivening, I think, as a football fan to get to meet people like you guys, uh, you know, just across the globe Ooh. through uh, 140 character bite sized messages at a time. <laughs> yes. um, it's been pretty surreal. And uh, same thing there. Uh, a, a few American friends were involved in kind of the new era at Venezia. Uh, my colleague Nathan who's a part of Common Goal uh, is a fantastic graphic designer he really took the lead on everything and did a lot of kind of uh, social graphics and kind of that visual uh, revamp of the club that they had had done a great job of on their own as well we just kind of added some some meat onto that and uh, no it's a great club I had the opportunity to uh, to visit uh, and saw them win a cup uh, kind of I guess it would be their their check a trade equivalent nice. oh, no, 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 yeah, no, we, we don't talk about that we don't talk about that sorry what's the you Italian can, not the Italian for boy. Yeah, you can bleep that out. But I mean, like branding, off the field stuff, like design and, and that sort of thing that you're talking about, it's it's a. I feel like it can be almost undervalued and probably by a lot of EFL clubs as well. I know that you've worked with Oxford a few years ago at a time where they didn't really have anything like that and you sort of helped to set up a, a way of them to, to interact with fans and sponsors and all that side yeah, of things. Yeah, I mean, so- I, I, I very generous of you. I, I feel like I'm, I mostly uh, was allowed to be let through the front door yeah. and uh, observed um, and, you know, made tea for people. But no, it was, it was really an enjoyable experience and I think in general, everyone's still figuring out this kind of digital ecosystem and how different parts of it work mm-hmm. together. Um, I think Oxford, for me, you know, you guys are the same way. I find that kind of grassroots, lower league environment to be, for me, the most exciting thing, you know, the most exciting football environment that I've ever been around. Um, I think you have a lot of people wearing a lot of hats and pulling in the same direction, and it feels like you are genuinely part of a team off the pitch, um, which is not always the same feeling you get at a larger club or um, at an American team, which feels more akin to kind of a Major League Baseball team sometimes or an NFL team rather than a football club. Um, And I think, you know, everything that you do should ideally feed towards the same vision, and I think that's kind of an exciting thing on the on on the visual side to to try and put together um every campaign that you build should ideally you know speak to the heart of the club and not kind of just 
try and generate revenue, but actually stand for something. And I think for us, it's been a really fun task to work with a bunch of very different clubs who are trying to accomplish very different things or at very different points in their life cycle. It's interesting that sort of strategy as well, because you're seeing, well, we've tracked over the last half a decade or so, so many foreign owners taking over clubs in the championship and, and some even in League One. And one of the first obstacles is building a bridge with the fans who, who might be slightly, you know, suspicious that you might not be a real part of it or you might not know the history because that's what's so important sure. to clubs. And that can be a big part of it. Like when they, when they arrive, I think I've seen with, with Nottingham Forest, with Leeds in, in the summer, it felt like their new owners had some sort of structure in place where they rolled out you know, different ways of, of uh, ingratiating themselves with the fans that previous owners might not have done. So, And it can all feed into that, can't it? Totally. And I, I think it's honestly very healthy skepticism. It's responsible skepticism. I think as a fan, uh, you've, we've kind of seen enough of the horror stories where you don't expect owners to necessarily have your best interests at heart. Yeah. You don't expect them to necessarily understand um, on, a, on a panoptic level what a football club can mean to a community. Mm-hmm. And I think I've seen the other side of that as well. I mean, I was uh, lucky enough to, to do a lot of work with Liverpool um, when I was up there and obviously they have American owners they yeah. uh, are they have fans in every corner of the globe we went on an American an, an American tour and I think for me uh, it was really interesting as an American to see that uh, that kind of prism of international development from an overseas perspective so I was working on American projects a lot of times from Liverpool um, and you really do understand, okay, this is a community institution and you need to be a responsible steward of you know, the legacy and culture of the club. But at the same time, if you're an Arsenal, a Liverpool, a Chelsea, Man United, you need to really develop those links the world over while at the same time ensuring that this remains a community institution. Mm. And I think that's a tension that we're all very familiar with, uh, you know, I think the against modern football crowd, like yeah. have a lot of incredibly valuable points. And I think th- that, that balance and that tension is only going to get more important for more clubs as time goes on. Um, I think even for me this year, I've been able to watch Oxford United matches on iFollow yeah. from the States. And I think that as that data gets collected, fan, uh, clubs are going to be really surprised with mm. how broad their reach is. Um, it's not to say that our, uh, Oxford United need to establish an international <laughs> marketing department, though I would love that. Um, but I do, we'll do think, it yeah, exactly. Yeah. There you go. Uh, but I do think that you know this this is a global sport, and England has a, a phenomenal amount of teams that have a global footprint. Um, and I am hopeful that it doesn't change a lot of the cultural elements of the game. But mm. I do think it's an important thing to nurture as time goes on. And is it not obvious? I mean, looking at the EFL, uh, I think there's probably a lack of understanding amongst lots of fans that basically every single football club in the country is going to be looking to turn over a profit. Um, and it's easy to forget that. But you look at the likes of Charlton and Blackpool, especially, who've had such difficulty with their ownership. Do you not think that a good PR strategy and good marketing strategy could just solve massive lots of those problems? Hundred percent. I mean, I think honestly, like uh, social media is an interesting way to view it. I think a Twitter account for a lot of people is kind of viewed as a secondary thing, and to me, it's really. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I would never ever use someone like Donald Trump as an analogy for anything positive. <laughs> That's definitely his first, any, That's definitely his first mention. mention on the pod. Yeah, yeah no. Uh, <laughs> Uh, horrible man, um, but uh, but I but I do think that um, you know the the power of it as a PR tool is we're now kind of not even questioning that like it's yeah. it's 
even for a small business, it's a massive, uh, you know, kind of element of, of marketing and PR. And I feel like for a small club, it's like there are so many reasons why it's important to have kind of a professional and polished uh, approach mm. on social media as kind of the first line of uh, communication with your fans. I, I feel like some fans and some people listening might just hit the word PR sort of raises the heckles sure. a little bit for some reason as a fan. But I guess good PR doesn't feel like PR or rather wouldn't be noticed as such totally. by fans. Bad PR is really noticeable and that's when you, you feel a bit exploited as a fan. But if you get you know the likes of yourselves at Common Goal involved and we do have people listening who work within clubs <laughs> yeah, yeah, and exactly. you know I appreciate there's, the pitch, there's, there's, no, uh, there's we'll, a lot that they we'll could do for you. We'll work out the, uh, the deal afterwards. Yeah also, exactly. Like, like, no. we get. But then it's also with, with Oxford as well and um, we'll get on to the kind of the football stuff in a second but with, with, with Oxford um, I think just after you came in someone called Sarah Gooding came into the club and, and she kind of revolutionised the fan engagement side of things and that alone like support a liaison yeah, and it, yeah. it makes a massive difference to the club itself right now Oxford aren't in a great situation you know we're 10th in the league um, but the breakdown of communication within the club is affecting the fans and it's affecting you know you and I were at the game yesterday you can feel some unrest around the ground and, and the, the fans aren't necessarily happy about it and you feel like if there was better communication then that could change Daryl Eels wasn't at the um, the Oxfox uh, committee meeting the other day because he was on a scouting mission but just a bit of back planning and just ensuring that there's that communication between club and fans can make everything a lot easier on the pitch mm. as well totally it's, it's really interesting I'm, I'm I'm always very jealous of anyone who's worked within a, a club and especially an EFL club definitely um, something really really you know amazing and, and, and as a fan now because you now follow Oxford as a fan having worked there you know I, I, you touched on I follow earlier and because of our situation being here in England we probably haven't really thought about it too much I know George you watched an Oxford game from Valencia and, and that Just was pretty cool Champion scored as well you know, as far as giving the big one in, in Valencia from, um, from our point of view um, my experiences of I follows has been everyone assuming that they'd be able to watch through like illegal streams and then getting a bit frustrated when they can't, which yeah. is another question for another day, whether that should should be allowed or not. But, you know, actually what an incredible thing for you out in LA, watching Oxford United playing it's fantastic. Also, uh, from a from an iPad or, or any sort of device on iPhone, that's that's incredible, and, and what a step in a good direction for the EFL. And and I think also it's just kind of part of a, a, a larger. Um you know, not to get too introspective, but I think that's really for the EFL to, to really consider where they are in terms of having all of these clubs who really do have quite a disparate global fan base. They do have this, you know, there will be a diaspora for, you know, I have a Brazilian friend who follows Accrington Stanley. It seems <laughs> absurd, that's but amazing. it's like, you know, it, for a lot of people, it is life changing in terms of being able to have this hobby that you never thought you'd be able to nurture when you were, you know, thousands and thousands of miles away and I think um, you know it, this is a, a place where you talk about PR in a good way like yeah. what an incredible connection to be able to drive to bring people closer to their passions and I feel like for me it's it's made a big difference and my friends are very upset at me for staying in on Friday <laughs> so I can wake up early to watch us play Rochdale or something yeah. like that it's been it's been definitely also, uh, also for me it's, it's always been a bit of an annoyance that any prospect of moving abroad has been out of the question because I yeah. can't leave it whereas now a couple of years watching on the iPad wouldn't, wouldn't seem so bad at all exactly it's um, really interesting tell us a bit just about the other project where sure. is football which has grown incredibly over the last few years I'm sure I was amongst the first followers on, on that Instagram <laughs> account I checked Thank the other you. day you're touching 30, 40,000 yeah. I think now and a, thousand, and a thousand posts now Thank you yeah I appreciate it um, for us uh, so it's a project that was started with a bunch of people um, namely my 
friends and current business partners, Eric Beard, Nathan McVitie, Maxi Rodriguez. I'm just going to go through the list. I feel like it's an Oscars <laughs> speech, but, um, you know, we, we've had a lot of people contribute. Um, and really for us, like that's really been the ethos of it is we're, we like the account. The account has been fun and great, but we're more proud of the community that we've mm. built. Um, and, and just, and it's at its very basic level pictures of it's where people are watching or playing football. Totally. And but got, it's not just that. I mean, yeah, I mean the pictures are incredible. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, we've got we've got a website component as well with features, but it's basically we wanted to develop something that really expressed kind of the depth and breadth of, you know, the world's love for football and, yeah. and what this game does to people in their own backyards in terms of giving them an outlet for creativity, for community, for, you know, forming best friendships, something to do with your kids, whatever it may be, just a beautiful picture, whatever it means to you, you know, you, we don't have to get too saccharine about it, but I really think for us, we're all friends, um, you know, Nathan and Eric, Maxi, and I, we were brought together through football on the internet. And we thought, what a great project to bring people closer to each other. Um, you know, we've had situations where we've had two people, you know, post where is football pictures from the same place and like, you know, find each other through that and really? become friends. And like, for us, like, those are stories I think that are that are most impactful yeah, yeah. and most powerful because they relate to how we've, you know, developed in, in this football ecosystem. It's, a, um, it's a just a great project. And I think one of the things I like most about it is just completely devoid of any sort of cynicism or it's just about pure love of the game and that's the type of thing that people basically are now trying to monetize left right and center <laughs> yeah. and people's love of the game is being exploited sometimes for good sometimes for bad yeah. but you know that's become a commodity now yeah. whereas the stuff that you're doing always whenever i see it just looks like true love and and great creativity coming out of the back of it so yeah we, thank you we would wildly recommend that anyone who, who's interested in in any of the stuff we've we've touched on here that to go and follow uh, where is football on instagram to find the the website where is football and um, and common goal as well Genu- genuinely i mean i think you guys are probably quite busy but i'm sure that there's always space for more business so <laughs> always. I, I'm, I'm i'm obsessed with the idea of efl fans like really harnessing you know, not hiring you guys necessarily, but that sort of thing. There are lots of great things happening across the 72 clubs. Of course there is, but I always think there could be more. And that sort of design element and, and, and creating great things. I, I know that Norwich are using um, a, a creative agency or, or a company called sure. Patterns of Play. I yeah, think they're called. they're fantastic. And they're making their um, program covers. And they're just, they're works of art. They're brilliant. And I think it's just, you know, way better than just having a, an action shot of one of your players on the front cover yeah. every week. They're, they're creative and they, I think they make a massive difference. So. Oh, thanks for the kind words. Yeah. And I, I think, I think that's, that's kind of the note that I would love to plug is that, you know, it's, it's not just us. Like we, we feel very lucky to be part of the landscape, but I think it's something where, you know, rising tides, you know, lift all ships. And I feel like we're all in the same boat in a lot of ways, like just football becoming more sophisticated when it comes to marketing, branding, creative, hmm. there are so many opportunities um, to, to see it as a worthwhile investment. I mean, whether you want to tie it into your commercial department, when, whether you want to get closure to fans, uh, you know, I think we're, it's, it's just the tip of the iceberg at this point. And there's a lot of people, you know, like patterns of play out there who we're massive fans of, and I, and I hope they get, you know, mm. as much work as we get. Mm. And I think, I think the whole, the whole industry really can benefit from that. So we've spoken about good places uh, to watch football. One place that wasn't quite so good for Oxford United fans was the Kassam Stadium yesterday. Uh, Zach, you and I were both there, albeit separately. We haven't really discussed the game. Um, Oxford going down 2-1 to a Berry team that hadn't scored in over 14 hours of football, hadn't won a game in nine. Um, 
when they scored the equaliser, they celebrated as if they hadn't scored in 14 hours of football. Uh, it's good to get someone else's view on this. I mean, from having seen most of our games on, on I Follow so far this season, what did you make of it? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely was uh, in a strange situation in that I got to the ground and everyone I spoke to was not confident. And though I've been around the club for quite a while, I, I'm still very much an optimist when it comes to most things. And I was <laughs> mystified as to how every single person I spoke to could be this fearful mm. of a bad result. And pretty much the, the line that I kept hearing throughout the day was like, you haven't been around Oxford enough if you if you're not thinking this. And to be honest, I you know I was sat next to the the Bury uh, radio guy, so I definitely it was the loudest I've ever heard anyone near a press box, like <laughs> even fans near a press box celebrate uh, that, a goal. That didn't go down. No, well. <laughs> it was it was the the no cheering in the press box myth has yeah. been well and truly yeah, busted. Yeah. But no, I mean I think um, it's re- it's it's hard to take a defeat like that. But I think. Uh, from my outside perspective, definitely as a fan, it's not totally unexpected. And I feel like it's, it's been a little bit of a narrative so far for the season. I know we talked about earlier, some of the good results even have come off the back of bad performances. And, um, you know, I, I don't profess to be the most learned Oxford fan by any means, but I, I did feel very encouraged by, um, kind of the recruitment seeming to get back to the the tried and tested science that you sent me a very similar WhatsApp. Yeah, actually, yeah. The, the day that you made a couple of signings, you yeah, said, it looks like we're we're going back to what worked before. Exactly, and I, and I think you know I'm I tend to take the long view about these things. I think um, you know in general the club's progressed massively on and off the pitch. I think in the past few years, and I think it you know there are always going to be bumps along the way, and we'll see what happens you know with with Pep and with the team. But I think in general I've I've learned to trust the club. Um, much more than when I look around across the EFL. I think there are a lot of clubs that that don't read warning signs the same way, that don't really have the same kind of longitudinal focus when it comes to personnel moves and recruitment and things like that. And so despite a terrible result, um, I've learned to kind of couch that within a larger trust of the club, I think. I don't know if I'm alone in that or maybe it's because I'm newer to the club. I think it's rare, but we probably lean more towards your sort of thinking as some. But, I mean, mean, I'm not an Oxford fan, George. You you also have very emotional reactions as well as as the (laughs) longer-term view. I mean, my biggest concern at the moment is that the club, it feels very disjointed. It doesn't feel like everyone's necessarily pulling together. I think even when Michael Appleton was manager, when he went through a very difficult spell in his first season, it still kind of felt like he had the players uh, playing for him. It felt like the board retained their faith in him as well. And I'm, I'm concerned now that, for those of you who, who don't know, and, and why would you know unless you were there, um, both our manager and the goal scorer, James Henry, put their hand to their, to their mouth to shush the home fans. We went one up, and that suggests that they're not really playing for the fans. It suggests that there's no togetherness. Um, also, only four players... I'm not so, someone who normally doesn't care about this stuff, but only four players stayed back after the final whistle to cap the fans. And they were four players with their last season. It was Josh Ruffles, Ryan Ledson, Simon Eastwood and Canis Carroll. Mm. So everyone who's been brought, up, brought in in the summer down the tunnel after that defeat. Um, it, it, it's a concern. And, and I think that Pep was brought in in June... The recruitment had to be very quick. I think we missed out on a few targets because that was so late. And it looks like he's buying into um, the, the, you know, the, the, the blueprint that we had before with young, promising players who we can sell on for a high value. Um, but at the same time, if he's going to behave in that way, then then it's going to be hard for him to make a success of it because the the chasm between 
you know, fans and, and manager or players and manager or players and fans, if the bigger that grows and the harder it is to, to come back from it. And, and I, don't, I don't want him to get sacked because I think it's too early days. But at the same time, yesterday, it was, it was bereft of any real hope. To be fair. We, we shouldn't have been one all up. Jack Payne has left, fine. But there was no, there was no like, plan. We, we passed it on the back four a lot, a, a lot of the game. Pep said in his interview afterwards, you know, they made it very hard for us to, to you know, break them down because they set up very defensively. But at the same time, the tw- twice in the first 10 minutes, we got in behind them. Once with Mimetti and once with um, Isaac Buckley Ricketts. That was just when we got it, uh, got it forward quickly and, t- and turned their defence. Defence with no confidence. And yesterday, we, we just seemed to let them get into position very quickly. I don't know, it just seemed... It, it just mm. seemed just, well, there's obviously a lot, you know... A bit, a bit, a bit, a bit the damp, really. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Uh, it's 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 an interesting we're tenth, one. You know, we're tenth. Still. Yeah, we're eight points off the playoff, eight points off the relegation zone. I'm not too concerned. I, th- I think that some of our players, I think Dwight T and Darley probably had his best performance in Oxfordshire yesterday and still managed to make the mistake to give away the all important goal. Sure. Um, I mean, Michael Appleton, could, he was pretty enough. he was pretty frosty on occasion, wasn't he? Yeah, he, he called the the, the fans <laughs> jeering white noise. And, and I think that, that reciprocal relationship to me has always kind of been a bit of a positive between um, you know the manager and the fans. Like it can get testy sometimes but I, I really do think there's an honesty at Oxford which is one of the reasons why I love the club so much is I think that there is that openness I mean you mentioned Sarah yeah. you know earlier I, th- I think that Oxford it's no secret that like the supporters have a very honest relationship with the club and I, I think there was yesterday some reciprocity in that the biggest cheer the entire match for any players for Chris McGuire um, yeah. it, which is not abnormal and not a bad thing when a, a player comes back to a club where they're beloved but I think there is uh, trust to be built still yeah. um, under Pep and I, I, th- I think that that was surprising to me just how my, there there was a message in that for me, from the fans to, to the I agree. players. It was, do, do you it was think surprising to me as well. I went down, I mean, I, uh, I'm obviously Mags' biggest fan, and I went down to the uh, to the Berry team coach to see him get off the coach <laughs> and, and said, come home, Mags, to him as he, as he walked off. So, I'm, you know, I, I was, and I was singing, singing, you know, all the songs about wanting him back. But I feel like it might possibly, I think the issue with that is that it was very clear that the fans wanted him to stay. And having to watch him turn up for a club who are bottom of our league, getting hauled off after an hour, like it seems like it could just be a bit of an easy win for Oxford just to try and make it happen. The other interesting thing I think is that a lot of people have said he's not what we need, but I mean, watching that performance yesterday, I mean, we, I mean, we could have—he was literally the exact player we need, someone to come deep, collect the ball from deep, and have like that creative spark to go forwards. And I was talking to Cy Watts this weekend. He said he's an Oxford fan, and he, he was talking about Maguire, and, and he said, "Well, yeah." We, we can be a bit nice at times as well and, it, yeah. and, and we need that you know he was a bit of a, a wind-up merchant or a lot of a wind-up merchant sort of he got, um, he got Messino booked yesterday for a cracking way he just did a kick and run just yeah. ran straight into him and fell over and, and you know I don't know whether I'm looking too much into this and trying to draw conclusions but you know you're 1-0 up at home to Bury. that game should be put to bed yeah. and, and you know maybe that's down to character maybe it's down to tactics this could be down to anything but the goals that you gave up were horrendous Shocking, one yeah. from a long throw and one from a long ball I mean that that's 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 not on basically. So right. it's, and it's interesting. Uh, I'd like to know what's happening with Rob Dickey as well, a player we brought in for a fee. He's been here now for three weeks, and yet Aaron Martin still plays centre back. And he he's if he's up to it, I don't really see why we brought in Dickey in basically. Mm. But 
we've got um, in, in the unnamed cup on Tuesday we've, we've got a game so um, maybe they'll get their chance there to, to stake a claim to, to play in the league so Zach you, you went to that game yesterday but you've been in the UK for a few weeks and from what I can tell from your Twitter feed you've been to a fair <laughs> few other games right? it's been insane so uh, by my count right and this is the, the joy of social media mm. uh, you've seen Millwall play yes. uh, at the Den you've seen Brentford play uh, you've also seen AFC Wimbledon play, Correct. although not in the league, in the cup against Tottenham. Yep. And at, because I don't want to sound like too much of a stalker. Um, <laughs> no, it's yeah. just great. It's, I mean, you're actually reminding me. It's, like, <laughs> yeah. it's incredible. But no, I just do my research on our guests. Yeah. You know, that's, that's just good podcasting. Um, no, I mean, you know, you, you've got a bit of a soft spot for bees as well. Um, you probably, like everyone else, uh, have enjoyed the the rise of AFC Wimbledon and must have been interesting to go and watch them play, and then Millwall as well. So, uh, you know, t- tell us tell us about those three clubs and your experiences of, of going there. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I like it's been it's been really interesting. I've lived in the UK a few times now, and you know, over the years, I've gotten to see a lot of lower league football it's been you know for me it's it's something that I love and you know I won't drag you too much into the fact that there's no American equivalent of that but you know at least one worth uh, writing about in terms of having no promotion relegation but for me you know there's so much drama it's so great to see smaller clubs and and you know understand the culture and the vibe of those places um, through their their football club Um, and I think for me, uh, you know, I was staying in Bermondsey the first night that I got in, and I was like, well, there's Millwall match, might as well go check it out. And uh, yeah, my friend Nathan came with me. You were the home fun. fans or the away fans? Uh, I was with home fans, but kind of doing it in like a David Attenborough style. Like I was, I was <laughs> looking at the home fans, way more interested in like the fact that I was in yeah. the homestand than the actual action on the pitch. Like it yeah, was yeah. just fascinating. Um, and you know, it's not my first time in Millwall, but I think every time I go, I think, wow, like this is the this is so unique. This mm. is so different to like if I if I was taking an American over for a football match, I genuinely would go to Millwall first yeah, yeah. because I think it it's in so many ways the most different experience that they're going to get from mm. an American sporting uh, experience. And I think to me, it, it was it was fascinating. But yeah, I mean, Brentford, I. I the first time I moved to London, um, I had a ticket there and, you know, I, I have a soft spot for them. I, mm. I enjoyed going. I had a cheap student price ticket. It was enjoyable. Mm. And, uh, you know, I, I would say I look out for them. I, I wouldn't say that they're my club in the way that Oxford is. But You're saying how much Oxford had developed over the last few years on and off the pitch. You must have noticed a similar thing with Brentford as well, even if you weren't as involved with the club, just as a fan and, and following them, you know, what an amazing few years for them as well. Totally. I mean, it's been, it's been pretty incredible. I mean, um, everything from seeing uh the Doncaster uh, insane finale that year, you know, to now, it's like I, I thought that that was such a death knell for the club. Like mm. I was like, oh, they'll never get back to. It. And yeah. you, you just look at what they are now, and it's mm. just so different. I mean, the club's been transformed completely. And as someone who does enjoy, you know, the analytics side of football, just mm. as you know, a, a passive, complete novice spectator to it, um, to me, it's really, it's really enjoyable to see what the club has done um, and to get a little bit of an insight into it through different mm. people on Twitter and things like that. Um, and I, and I think things are going really well. I mean, I, I don't get a chance to watch a lot of their matches. It was great to go back to Griffin Park, um, but I, I do think that for me, it's my favorite ground in the country. Mm. Um, and so I sort of try and actually turn that part of my brain off in terms of like thinking about the inner workings of the club, yeah. thinking about how they're doing on on a long-term level and just kind of like enjoy Ooh. enjoy the spectacle but i mean i i think honestly it's it's a club that isn't you guys made a you've made a point about this a bunch mm. of times on the pod that 
I think they have a a long term vision that um, I I think is very wise to stick to. It obviously you know might require massaging and changes here and there, but I I think it's it's really exciting to to follow that rise and see if that model can be applied uh, in a lot more places. And crucially, were you there to see Kamal Reef score from the halfway line? That, I so I was not, but you know what? I I purposely avoided that match. Really. Um, <laughs> I was given a lot of stick in the Oxford office for having any ties whatsoever to Brentford. Really? And that was really the day where I had to pick, Ooh. where people were yeah, like, you yeah. can't support two clubs equally. Like, we know you can't, like, pick now. And I was like, okay, it's Oxford. We were there together when NTT20 was just a, uh, just a, just an idea. Just an idea. Yeah, that, that doesn't yeah. do Beautiful. anything to, to, to quash the rumours that we are never a, apart that's true <laughs> we got the, true. The, the guys from the Totally Football League show being like you guys live together as well right we're like no no we, there are some times actually where we're not together talking EFL Although, don't, don't ruin the illusion I mean generally we'll be whatsapping about it either way so, yeah, so it's true. always on I mean those three teams Brentford well, I, I was gonna Millwall say, Wimbledon big winners from this weekend well, I was just mm. going to say that I wanted to talk about what I'm going to call the game of the season I think in any league mm. uh, Ellen Road yesterday um, just anyone who hasn't heard about it it was Leeds 3 Millwall 4 so it sounds good on the face of it but you, you dig it a bit deeper and Leeds were, had a man sent off Liam Cooper after 37 minutes when they were 1-0 down Millwall made it 2-0 only 4 goals from um, Kamar Roof and a double for Lasoga making it 3-2 only in the 87th minute for Tom Elliott to score the equaliser and then Jed Wallace to score in the 91st minute. A few stats from that game as well. 19 shots to 26. Amazing. I combined 19 shots on target as well. Absolutely extraordinary stuff. Um, that, the- and, and Millwall, just for the narrative hadn't won on the road yet this season and that what a way to do it unbelievable yeah I mean Zach's touched on the the uniqueness of of, of the den and it's it's something if I'm honest that sometimes winds me up a little bit because it's so hard to talk about Millwall I'm talking about analysing the team as well as the club in general and not have it mentioned like tough place to go yeah. you know your great home form but it's also true like it's hard to avoid because first away win of the season yesterday their home form is fantastic you know their tall intents and purposes having an excellent season for a team that were promoted last year and who for the most part kept a, a similar same sort of core of players I think they're doing absolutely fantastically and it's good to to shine a light on that a word on La Soga um, obviously signed at the start of the season and I think it, it is it's tough for Leeds fans, I think sometimes, and uh, and with Lasaga, it's been very tough because there have been performances where he's looked like he can't trap a ball, um, like like the biggest cart horse. But when you see a performance or like a half hour like he had yesterday with the team down to ten men, it was like sort of Drogba in his prime at Chelsea. He just put the team on his back, and that's why that sort of striker with his physical attributes um, that's why teams are so obsessed with players like that and and uh, you know in all leagues uh, someone like that is going to be a game changer but at championship level if Lasoga can can try and translate that into a more consistent performance level then then we've got a serious player on our hands cuz you know one with his right one with his left um, just it was like they had 11 men for about half an hour because he was doing the work of two. Um, Wolves lost at home to Nottingham Forest, George. Didn't really see that one coming, Definitely did we? didn't see it coming. I think that first goal um, is probably the kind of goal you need to score against Wolves, a deflected strike that yeah. kind of bobbled in. Um, but good on them. And I think that for Ita Karanka, getting that kind of result under his belt early on is going to bring the fans on side. We've spoken in terms of Oxford how important it is to, to be United. And I think Nottingham Forest for two or three years now haven't had that. 
Um, so for, for you know for a, a manager who who's obviously very ambitious and will have um, the will to take the Forest team into the Premier League next year presumably not this year um, and the young squad two of the youngsters scoring as well it can only be good news for them mm. two for Ryan Sessegnon in Fulham's 6-0 win against Burton now we touched on, on Fulham's run last week uh, and Brentford of course uh, on a similar sort of run not quite as impressive as Fulham but also moving up the table ominously so I'm going to put you on the spot George here because in the playoff places at the moment are Cardiff Aston Villa Bristol City and Sheffield United below that Fulham Middlesbrough Brentford Leeds and Preston so of those four Cardiff Villa Bristol City and Sheffield United how many will be in the playoff places come the end of the season we did not do this last time do not try and wriggle out of it it definitely won't be four because Fulham will will be in that six there's no question at all Um, I'm going to say two okay and I don't know which two Right, um, I think the, I think Villa's turnaround in form is obviously very important, um, and Grealish being in some kind of form is a massive positive for them because we know how good he is or can be. Um, Sheffield- so much nicer to watch with Grealish and Hogan as well. Yeah, God, it's such a joy considering yeah. they're on TV every week. You know, there was about ten games at the start of the season where you had to sit through Villa like just playing miserably and grinding out one 0 wins, and now playing like really quite nice stuff but, and the, the thing about Hogan as well is that if he starts scoring he, he won't stop like he's a proper goal scorer like he, he's <laughs> so going to keep going yeah exactly. he said that in his interview so it, almost, it was like a bit of a humble brag while sort of acknowledging his barren spell he said like I've been really lucky in my career so far because I've just always scored <laughs> <laughs> and I was like nice well if you could choose to do it any like I mean obviously the the, the drought is not a good thing to have yeah. but like he makes national headlines when he scores like seven goals in yeah, five yeah, matches yeah. and like <laughs> it, if you could choose to to spread them out like you probably wouldn't because you just yeah. wouldn't get that those headlines and I'd say a key thing about the reason why he's probably struggled at Villa more than anywhere else is that it's going to be pretty cutthroat there at Villa if Scott Hogan turns up and doesn't score in three games he's going to lose his place in the side whereas a Rochdale at Brentford you're going to have that time where you can kind of just just, just get into form basically yeah. he just hasn't had that yet and now he's finally got that got that start I expect him to keep going um, people have been dooming Burton to relegation dooming. since, since they word? yeah yeah I've just made it up uh, <laughs> since they joined the championship at the start of last season and they've always got out of it but they've just hit bottom spot with that 6-0 defeat to Fulham and you know and we always say it but it's quite hard to see them now crawling out of it yeah, I think having said that I, I caught the game down. between Sunderland and Hull and you know a huge win for Sunderland hugely valuable points and on the flip side a damning result for Hull and Nigel Adkins but it was desperately poor and looking at Birmingham's performance at Preston which I think was quite encouraging um, that's an interesting one I I think that Sunderland and and Hull's they've still got a long way to go just because they've got you know international players or actually in Sunderland's case not that many left but in Hull's case still quite a few international players it's not really making much difference at the moment and you know fan unrest still at an all-time high there so a bit, bit of a tough one uh, in League One George we, we've got Wigan and Blackburn in the top two now Shrewsbury drew at home to Doncaster and the other well Blackburn took advantage of that um, do, do you probably think that that's, that's going to stay like that at this stage now yeah I think so I think that looks the most likely thing to happen um, as we've said before, it's not a very good league this, this this year, really. And I think there's quite clearly two class teams in it. Mm. Um, I think that, again, Blackburn showing the resilience to come through after after going into the final 10 minutes at Fleetwood on level terms. It's a massive, massive win for them, that. And it keeps them on Wigan's coattails. Um, Wigan yesterday as well, going 1-0 down at Plymouth and bringing it back to win 3-1. I think there's a, there's a huge, huge gulf. Um, 
and the likes of Scunthorpe dropping points yesterday only increases that. So, um, but the team I want to talk about the most is Gillingham. Oh I mean, my God, yeah. It is absolutely unbelievable what's going on there. Top of the form table now, uh, winning four of the last six and drawing two um, alongside Rotherham. Uh, it's been an unbelievable turnaround. And that result, you know, Gladford Park is probably one of the hardest places to go in League One over the last couple of years. And they've gone there and they've, and they've come away with the three points again. Uh, absolutely incredible. Uh, AD Pennock left on the 25th of September. Uh, they were 22nd in League One at that stage. And, and now they're up in 11th. I mean... Uh, it's it's really hard to to know without being able to to truly analyze and and you know we're, we're it's very hard to see exactly what's happening all over but from what i can see george stewart lovell um i always when i when i think about managers and trying to work out who's good and who's bad in the football league which is so tough because they move around all the time a bad few months and you're out <laughs> but like one of the easy basic ways of doing it is looking at the squad and being like is this guy getting you know, it doesn't have to be the best out of these players, but is he either making these players look better than they are or doing all right? And he is just getting the absolute most. Josh, yeah. uh, Tom Eaves and Josh Parker, for example. Yeah. Like neither of those guys are featured in any of our chats for about two seasons. Yeah. And all of a sudden, um, unbelievable. I'd be interested to know what you think, Zach, about this. I mean, in terms of, of, of just managers and impact, because I subscribe to the idea personally that... that bad form can be too easily blamed on managers but then at the same time I personally think that Michael Appleton the most important person in Oxford's history so <laughs> like, you know I, I don't really know where and it's a question I'm asking myself at the moment amongst the questions about whether or not Pep Quartet should be kept basically yeah I mean well I mean, in my mind it's sort of like how much time do you have you know it's like it's yeah. such a tricky thing to answer in in a general sense I mean I think there's all sorts of things where I've, I've heard every statistical study, I've heard it on both sides applied selectively. Yeah. And I think, you know, there is a very real, um, there's a very real bump to having a new manager, I feel like, whether or not that's a sustainable bump is a completely different yeah, story. I've seen on a fiscal level how wasteful it is for clubs to sack managers only mm. to get the exact same thing. Well, look, look at what's up with Marco Silva today. Yeah, yeah mean, no, exactly. 15 million they turned down, they now have mm. sacked him. Exactly. Mm. And, and you just look at, like, the, the difference between, I mean, clubs don't necessarily view it in the same way in, as far as an accounting practice goes, but you look at how many clubs are like reliant on player sales to, to turn a profit. And then you look at them turning down equivalent amounts for managers and it's yeah. like, okay, well, if you viewed that in the same light, you might, you know, arrive at more productive uh, financial results. Um, I tend to think that it's a case-by-case -case basis, of course, but I do think that it's one of the intriguing things for me about the EFL is just how disastrous it can be when a manager's lost the dressing room, yeah. how quickly you can fall. Um, I think a lot of that is uh, there are teams that, I mean, even managers I really like, it was really interesting, for instance, to see um, managers who are never in danger of getting the sack, but like what you do when you've had a really great start to the season, like uh, David Wagner, for instance, yeah. when he was at Huddersfield and they had that terrible barren spell. And it's mm -hmm. like, well, they're not going to sack him, obviously. But it's sort of like, what do you do to like, Ooh. like that's almost more interesting to yeah, me yeah, than I the agree. like, do we sack him or do we not? It's like, what do we do when someone is definitely going to remain part of the club, but we don't necessarily have any remit or oversight to change how he's approaching team selection yeah. or team talks or anything like that it's sort of like 
that's almost a more compelling discussion to me. Some people might be thinking that sounds a bit like Arsene Wenger. The EFL savants among yeah. us are thinking Keith Hill at Rochdale. Yeah. Mm, they gave him a five-year contract not long ago. You talk about you know the fiscal um, the issues with sacking managers, especially when they got five-year contracts. Totally. Um, they are on a, an absolutely miserable run. Uh, their game was postponed on the weekend, but you know it, 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 it's just not. It's they're, they're, they're eight points or no nine points now from safety. A um, couple of games in hand, but that's the that's such an. Uh, we've got a, a, a great listener of the show, the Daily Dale on Twitter, and you know tearing his hair out because a, a previously good team with the same sort of players and the same manager, they lost two very important players in the summer, Matty London, Nathaniel Mendes Lang, and the replacements at the time. You know you weren't sure if they were going to be good enough, but you weren't you weren't necessarily saying those are terrible players. And now you're in a position where you're probably dropping down to League Two. And, and what do you do with a manager that's such a part of the club's history or recent history, such a personality around the place? And like Wenger, probably has more say in how the clubs run than, than a lot of managers who, who spend less time at a club. So that's really what one to look out for. But um, th- there, were, there were some very interesting results in League Two as well this weekend. Some some big ones. So Zach's got a Brazilian friend that follows Accrington Stanley. I can only <laughs> Shout imagine. Out Diego Guerra. Yeah, <laughs> I can only imagine he, he slammed his laptop shut watching on iFollow yesterday um, as Vale went two 0 up against Stanley. Uh, but it's a team with a lot of character. It's a club with a lot of character, as we know. And they came back to win three two. It's also a team, I should say, as well as character, with an awful lot of class. And, and you know, you look at that team now with Billy Key. Sean McConville and Caden Jackson, uh, you know, as as an attacking force, and Jordan Clark as well. You know, this is a, a this is not an underdog necessarily at League Two level. I mean, f- financially it is, but the way that they've built this squad into a contender has been absolutely fantastic. But also three two winners, Wickham at Crewe and Mansfield against Cheltenham in a crazy game with all sorts of red cards and managers sent to the stands. George uh, Forest Green were, were right down there a few weeks ago, but I mean, um, they're still twenty third. Yeah, it's still twenty third. <laughs> But, I mean, you know, you, you, you lumped on, on them this weekend. What's, what's tickling your fancy about them at the moment? Well, we spoke about it on the, on the pod earlier in the week where they're, you know, they're chucking some cash at it. So it, this is so important for them to stay up. This is their one chance, their one season in the EFL. And, uh, and they've got the, the financial clout to throw a bit of money at it. And I'm, I'm not a huge fan of this Cambridge team. I think that Forest Green, um, statistically, as, as Ben Mayhew will tell us, uh, are probably in a, in a correct position down at the, down at the bottom, but I, I expect them probably to to make their way further up if the signings they've made are successful. Another interesting match at the bottom, bottom end of the table, probably the result of the day in League Two, I'd say, was, was Chesterfield going and doing a good job at Yeovil, mm. uh, an absolutely massive result for them as well that gets them out of the relegation zone briefly and just one point behind Yeovil now. So always interesting those ones because uh, in terms of Yeovil obviously playing Man United on Friday night, FA Cup fourth round and. You know, some would say that one of the most important games in the club's history. But actually, uh, on a short-term basis, playing at home to Chesterfield relegation rivals was was probably a bigger yeah. game. Um, so well, it's, it's always interesting to know whether. And I don't profess to have any idea which way it goes. But like, you you probably got fans who are going, "Oh, they had one eye on the cup game, right?" But before the game, sometimes you have. You know, I, I know that um, people sometimes say, "Look, these guys will be desperate to to impress their manager so that they'll." get the starting spot against Man U. So it's like, what's the, what's the mental dynamics behind that? Are you trying harder to impress the manager or are you 
have you got one eye on the on the in the game? I mean, There's no real way of knowing, is you, there? Juve Rosler rested Dante Cole for the Leicester game because they had Blackburn coming up. Mm. I mean, which shows by the priorities. I think as a manager, you have to prioritise the lead because that's at the end of the day what's going to keep your job or not. Um, on on Yeovil and, and the Man Utah, have you seen Otis Khan's red card? Yeah. So this is their, this is their, their pretty much their star man who decided to shoulder barge referee after they. Uh, conceded the the losing goal oh, that's I, not even the worst I, part I didn't of it see that. i he's saw a, a great interview with him the other a, day he's a ch- mi- childhood man united yeah fan. yeah he's a man united fan yeah and yet you know misses the game that's, i i honestly didn't know that i saw that i saw the interview with him where i was like this is a perfect story this is incredible and yeah. oh no he's gone from being football's biggest winner to football's biggest loser oh, in, in, in a just a, a shame a foolish move miserable um, yeah, it's not ideal. It is miserable. Um, just quickly, because I thought this is this is really fun. Um, last night we saw the breaking news that Alexis Sanchez and Mkhitaryan were going to be swapped, just a straight swap really? deal, like a trade. In the uh, like, I'm a big NBA follower, like a trade. Uh, and I've always thought like this would be so great to work out because in the NBA you'll get you know in the media they're always right. sort of floating proposed the trades trade see, exactly see yeah. how it works and so I was like this is brilliant I tweeted but it was like 10pm on a Saturday so no one really saw it and I said I always thought there should be more straight swap deals like NBA trades now I'm going to spend all week all weekend thinking up EFL trades where both teams would be uh, would obviously both teams have to agree I, so it's, it's an interesting one isn't it I, I, I do like though it kind of taking a page from that book like I've always found the other thing quite compelling with like trading players for cash but I think also there could be an alternate alternate arrangement um in this case like Forest Green for instance it's Veganuary lots of incredible pies <laughs> at that place other other clubs aren't too well equipped yeah you, you know see an Oxford player go over there for a couple of vegan Help pies because yeah. I was looking for one yesterday I didn't find one really Pretty upset that's yeah annoying. that doesn't our, surprise our pie, me you know, our yeah. pie, no our pies our meaty pies are yeah. quite good well yeah so, but you know yeah there's a few every now and yeah. again but I, I didn't really? find any I was pretty upset That's anyway we, we, I, I would just want to shout out our friend uh, Rob Fletcher quickly because he tweeted us he was the one person who took this seriously and he said I love this idea imagine teams like Brentford who would acquire three players who are massively undervalued with 18 months left on their contract for a player who scored goals for six months and all of a sudden becomes irresistible to playoff chasing Sheffield Wednesday a, a little nod there to Sheffield for Wednesday's recruitment, recent recruitment history, which has been not very good. Um, he has suggested, as a Borough fan, I'm not sure this is going to go down that well with the Norwich fans, he has suggested Adam Clayton and Patrick Bamford to Norwich for James Madison. <laughs> gives, uh, right. It gives Norwich championship quality and means they could cash in Oliveira to a, a relegation-threatened Prem team and shore up their midfield. Borough get the number 10 they need. Who says no? That sounds to me like, oh, I'll give you this block of gold if, uh, if you give me like a potato. It's just <laughs> <laughs> anyway, well, I'm not going to have a go at Rob because he's trying. Uh, please do send us, tweet us at NTT20pod, any trade, proposed trades that you have uh, at, at the, well, within very, the EFL. Very can have Tien Dali and we'll have Mags. That's, that's <laughs> all I was saying. Uh, and I think that's probably a good place to finish it. Uh, Zach, thank you so much for joining us. Thank um, you. With our first international guest, that's for sure. Although Mike Holden does live in Valencia. Yeah, um, and um, And we've been just so blessed so grateful to have you on so thanks very much you are too kind thank you so much for having me i really appreciate it and uh yeah make sure you keep listening um we'll (laughs) we'll keep you up to date along along with i follow maybe maybe we'll come out for to you no i was i was about to say we could do a live show on the beach that'd be incredible there it is there it is get on out here that'd be good (laughs) any 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 further business george no uh just hope that next time we speak 
Oxford are, are slightly happier. So we don't have a game next weekend, so we probably won't be. But <laughs> there you go, guys. Thank you very much. Um, we hope you've enjoyed this. We hope it's a nice surprise to drop on a, on a Sunday. And um, yeah, as always, follow us at NTT Twenty Pod on Twitter. Um, you know, we always rely on your, your massive generosity when it comes to sharing the podcast and getting them into the ears of, of new people, new listeners, and any feedback, anything you have to say, uh, we love hearing from you. So thanks very much. And until next time, it is goodbye from us.